And the 31st, the last Wednesday of this month, I'll be at Charlestown Road in Indiana. And they're doing a summer series like several churches do, and theirs is based on this hymn, number 42, In Christ Alone. I'm the last speaker of the summer. And I've been asked to speak on the last phrase in this song. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. The last four stanzas or phrases of the first of the last four verses of the four verses are Here in the love of Christ, I stand. Here in the depth of Christ, I live. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. If you take the time to look at the song and get the sense of what Townsend and Grady were trying to put together in this song, you will see that it's a song that was intended to offer great assurance and great security for God's people, for believers. It was a song they said that was intended not just for worship, but was hopefully to be on every heart of every Christian throughout the day of their life. And their sentiment was that this was a song that was really needed, especially in the West. And I suppose it could be equally applied to all over the world with the insecurities, the lack of, of sureness of things, the way things kind of be good is called evil, evil is called good. And they want this assurance to be expressed in this song. And they want the assurance to be expressed from the standpoint of when striving cease and fears all go away. Who is our comforter? Who is our all in all? Here in Christ, I stand. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have faced the onslaughts of Satan. Disappointment, heartache, blindness, weakness, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Satan's onslaught, his attack has been, been ever-present in all of our lives. We experience that. But there's something in this psalm that was intended to to grant assurance and confidence. And the crescendo of the song is this last statement. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. And as I was thinking about this song as it was assigned, I was trying to roll this thing over my mind over and over again. I had a dozen different directions that I went with this song. And finally, I don't know what the epiphany was, but there was an occasion that I was just going along and the way that I wanted to approach it hit me. And I want to share that with you this morning because I think it offers something that is powerful for us to think about. When I think about this expression, here in the power of Christ I stand, the first thing I think about is the power over sin, Satan, and death. And I hope you'll see why I put it this way, every heart of every Christian throughout the day of their life. And their sentiment was that this was a song that was really needed, especially in the West. And I suppose it could be equally applied to all over the world with the insecurities, the lack of, of sureness of things, the way things kind of be good is called evil, evil is called good. And they want this assurance 
to be expressed in this song. And they want the experience to be expressed from the standpoint of when striving cease and fears all go away, who is our comforter? Who is our all in all? Here in Christ I stand. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have faced the onslaughts of Satan. Disappointment, heartache, blindness, weakness, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Satan's onslaught, his attack has been, been ever-present in all of our lives. We experience that. But there's something in this psalm that was intended to, to grant assurance and confidence and the crescendo of the song is this last statement. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. And as I was thinking about this song as it was assigned, I was trying to roll this thing over my mind over and over again. I had a dozen different directions that I went with this song. And finally, I don't know what the epiphany was, but there was an occasion that I was just going along and the way that I wanted to approach it hit me. And I want to share that with you this morning because I think it offers something that is powerful for us to think about. When I think about this expression, here in the power of Christ I stand, the first thing I think about is the power over sin, Satan, and death. And I hope you'll see why I put it this way as opposed to making them three separate points. Sin is man's blight. It is man's man's uh, man's fault, man's flaw. It is man's, man's greatest harm, man's greatest crime. It didn't have to be that way. And it wasn't intended to be that way. God never had in mind that in the garden in the scene with, with man, with man and, and guys, he walked in the cool of the day that, that man would sin. Yes, the tree was there and choice was there. But with all that man had out before him, there was nothing, there was only one thing there to prevent him from, from making a choice to serve God. Sin can be attributed to nothing more than just human weakness and human choice. Why do we sin? It's because we want to. It's because we choose to. There's nothing technically challenging about the words that God spoke to Eve and to Adam about the fruit of that one tree Nothing difficult to understand about what God said, don't eat the fruit of that tree, for the day you eat, you shall surely die. Nothing there, but our forebears, our, our parents, our early parents chose to sin and separate themselves from God. Man doesn't have to, but man, everyone, have chosen to. What Paul will say, Putting the Romans, I mean Gentiles and Jews together in the book of Romans is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not an exception save Christ Himself. And so all have made that choice simply because we have wanted to. But God didn't leave it there. God could have just folded his hands, dusted them off, and said, Okay, I'm through with you. I'm never going to try this experience again. But Christ came. And when Christ performs the miracles, like the man that's let down through the roof who's told, take up thy bed and walk, thy sins be forgiven thee. Or like Jairus' daughter, who when he comes into the house, her life is already stopped. And Christ revives her life, raises her, 
and then tells those that are there to, to go and your sins are forgiven. Why does he perform these miracles? Is it to simply bring back the life or to make a lame man able to walk? No. It's to show he has power. Power not only to heal, but power over sin. And that's significant for us to understand. If in the power of Christ we're going to stand. If what we have done is we have failed. We have fallen. We have made a choice contrary to what God wanted that choice to be. Then how are we ever going to be? How are we ever going to be in a relationship with Him so that metaphorically He can walk in the cool of the day with me and you? Christ had to come and Christ had to be greater than or more powerful than Satan and in sin. Christ came. And therefore, in the power of Christ, we can stand over sin. He has conquered sin because in doing so, He also conquered our adversary, Satan. Peter will say he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. Satan is wily. Satan schemes. And we look at what God offers to us, and we look at what Satan offers, and we say, no, I, I, just, can't, I just can't do it. I just can't make it. I just can't do this. I can't be successful. And the truth of the matter is, we're not going to be that way. We all realize that. How about we all realize we're, we can't do it. We can't overcome. We're not going to be successful. We're going to fall. We have fallen. We've done that. We know what that experience is. And Satan knows that as well. But in Hebrews chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 2, the Hebrew writer makes a statement here in verses 14 and 15 that I think is very powerful and ties in to this concept of this song that here in the power of Christ I stand. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. When man sinned in that garden, and when man has sinned ever since, what, what was the consequence? The consequence for them and the consequence for me and you is death. They did not physically die in that moment. And when we sinned, we did not physically die in that moment. And yes, the death that's been overcome can be physical, can be spiritual. I think the context suggests spiritual. But we'll talk about the physical in just a moment. Man separated himself from God. Man died was because of the choice he made to violate the loving will of God. That's the consequence. We want to talk about those who are legalists. Listen. Satan is the author of legalism. You sin, you die. There's no mercy with him. It is that way and there is no other alternative. We sin, we die. Death was the consequence. Death now holds man in its grip. Death holds its grip on me. Its curse is on us. Death holds us in its grip. How can we be released from that grip and that curse of sin? How can we be released from that? How can we say, here in the power of Christ I stand, and in Christ alone I stand, 
when we find ourselves in the grip and under the curse of sin as the verse goes. How can that happen? How can we be paralyzed by the fear of death and the consequence of sin that produces death? How can we be delivered from the bondage of death? In Romans chapter 7, Paul will give that lengthy statement beginning in verse 13, going to the end of verse 25, and I'll summarize that for time's sake. When he says, it's sin that rules and dwells. What I hate to do, what I do, I hate. Well, why do you do it then? Why do you do what you hate? Why do you hate what you do? Because it is sin that dwells in me. And then he gives this haunting refrain, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Who shall deliver me? How do I escape this? Sin's curse is on me. I'm held in the grip of sin. The death is there. I have died spiritually. How can I be delivered from that? The Hebrew writer says in verse 14, Likewise, he shared the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. You see, there's sin, and there's Satan, and there's death. Sin is self-indicting. The statement that Paul will give of Peter in Galatians chapter 2, whenever he played the part of the hypocrite, he says, I will confirm to the face because he was self-condemned. Sin is self-indicting. No one has made us do that. No one has compelled us to do that. If we have been compelled to sin, then we're no longer free of agents. We're no longer responsible for that. But we've not been compelled to that. Nobody has put the moral obligation for us that we must sin. We made that choice, and when we did, spiritual death entered in. We have been separated from God because our adversary, the devil, entered into our life, and now sin and his rule has begun to implant themselves in our hearts. How do we break that curse of sin? Paul will then say in Romans chapter 7, verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ who gives us the victory, and in Christ Jesus there is now no condemnation. Christ is the answer. Christ is the perfect sacrifice. That's what you see in the last, in verse 2, in the last phrase. Here in the death of Christ I live. Why? Because, verse 3, I have been bought with the precious blood. Here in the death of Christ I live. It's not in the death of Christ I stand. Here in the death of Christ I live. How can I say here in the power of Christ I stand? Because here in the power of death, in Christ's death I live. He became the perfect sacrifice for us. He willingly went to the cross. And yes, we went to the cross. It seemed like the darkest hour. The world became dark. There was this upheaval that took place. Light had now been put out. Death had happened on the cross. To he who came to shed light, light and song in our heart has now turned to darkness and turned to mourning. But the third day, the third day he arose. You see, it's not the crucifixion. That's the point. The crucifixion is the offering of himself both in body and blood. But if we stop at the crucifixion, we have stopped short. Because the power over death is in His resurrection. And yes, there is that death that happens physically. 
How can we break that hold of breath, that only spiritual breath, that hold of breath physically? Breath holds us in its sway, holds us in its power. How can we, how can we break that? How do we break the paralyzing steam of what that death is? And Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that when we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, we can walk boldly up to the face of Satan and say, I have been set free. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Because Christ arose, not only has death been conquered, and not only now does man who has sinned and found himself under the sway of Satan have an answer that he might be redeemed and reconciled, but man also has an answer for physical death. It doesn't mean that all emotion is removed from physical death when we lost a loved one. But what it means is that when we see that grave, that's not the end of the story. There's another story to be told. And another story to be told is that one day because He arose as the first fruits, we too shall arise. And we shall be clothed, as Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, immortal. We shall have a new body. We shall have new clothes. We shall be presented to Him, holy, spotless, and without blemish. This body that was sin-stained, this body that fell under the curse of death, both by disease and by the consequence of being separated by God, now will be whole and be presented here without spot and without blemish because in the death of Christ, I live because He purchased me with His blood. You see, resurrection, resurrection set everything the possibility to set everything right again. Why? Because Christ came. Because He showed up. And that's what He means when He says in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 2, He says, And release those who through fear of death all their lifetime were subject to bondage. We've been set, as the old song goes, we've been free, we've been set free, 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 free at last, free from the bondage of sin. And we can sing in Christ alone. Here in His power, I stand. The second thing I'd like for you to think about with me is, that's not enough. That's enough to be forgiven. That's enough to be justified. But that was not God's endpoint. God's endpoint is not that just we find ourselves free from sin because of forgiveness. But God had something else in mind. You see, when God created man, He created man in His image. And because man failed, because man sinned, He sacrificed he lost that, that part that was in the image of God. Now that image is stained. No longer does it have the pristine character of God on it. Now it has the stain of sin. The stain of sin there. And God wants that stain removed. Yes, all things work together for good for those who love God and look forward to His appearing. He predestined something. He knew something. What? That those people who would be justified, those people who would be called would be justified. They would be glorified. And they would be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the all things that work together for good. 
His, his aim is that we all be conformed to the image of the Son. I, he says, I can't do that unless you are justified. And I can't justify you unless I forgive you. And I can't forgive you unless my Son comes. Why? Because you sinned and because you died. Because Satan conquered you. It was never my will that you, you, you live under his reign. I wanted to rule in you. I want to reign in you. But what I want out of you is I want you now to be transformed. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Look beginning in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. For Christ is sitting, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You get that? You died. There's been a death and there's going to be forgiveness that's there. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now you've done something. You've put to death some things and you've put on some things. So then He says, verse 9, but now you yourselves... Put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie one another, since you put off the old man with his own deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him, who is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, here it is. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love that is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. He said, you were walking this way, but now you're forgiven. And it's not just enough to be forgiven. Now you're going to be changed. You're going to be changed from the inside out, not the outside in. I'm going to change who you are in heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new mind. And that new mind is to be renewed daily. And here's how now you are going to be described. When you, when you make that idea, idea of transformation come alive, I think of Peter. Peter, not unlike us, found himself making strong affirmations, strong promises, and then eating his words. I'll never forsake you. And yet he wilted before a young lady, before a fire out in the entrance while Christ is being tried. Peter, how could you do that? Well, how can we do it? How do we take that name that Jordan talked about in the 9 o'clock hour and use it in vain ways that he illustrated? How can we do that? But that's not the end of the story for Peter. God had told him, I'll change your name. You're not going to be a pebble. You're going to be a strong rock. You're going to be a foundation. And when you repent, you turn. You strengthen your people. You strengthen the brother. And Peter did turn. And that same time that was weak at one point, that before a young lady denied the Lord and cursed his name, now stands before 3,000 at Pentecost and says, let me tell you who you crucified. Let me tell you about your determined purpose you did that. And by the counsel of God, you crucified the Lord and Savior. He's not pulling punches with them. That's how bold he's become. 
How can he do that? Because in Acts 4 verse 13 it says he had been with Jesus. But that's not all. How about that brother James? How about his own? How about the Lord's own family that at first did not believe him? And then here comes James. Do you remember what happens to him in Acts 12? When Herod's playing God, James is put to death. Why did he do that? Because he had been with Jesus. But let me ask you a more penetrating question. Why did you decide to follow Him? And why do we let Him transform us every day? When we were walking toward a dead end with sin, we came face to face with our eternal inheritance and it was a dark, foreboding, fearful picture and the light had shone in the darkness, and a song entered our heart, and we found ourselves cleansed by His blood because He had the power to forgive. Why do we continue to walk with Him and allow Him to change who we are? If any of us have been a Christian any, any length of time at all, we ought to move further than our arms length away from the baptism of our growth. We ought to look more like Him every day we wake up. That doesn't mean we no longer find ourselves in sin, but it's not the habit of our life. It's not the rule of our life. It is the misstep of our life because Christ rules our hearts. And He rules our lives. How can I say, in Christ alone I stand? Because He has the power to transform our lives. And He alone has that power. When we sinned, we had the impress of Satan on our heart and our character. And when we were with Christ and raised that new man, having been forgiven, that impress is still there, that character, mark of that character is still there. The relationship has changed, but the character hasn't. But now years pass, and now not only has the relationship strengthened, the character has changed because now that character is more in line with and being transformed to look more like the Lord. Who has the power to do that? Christ alone. Christ alone. And the third thing, if you'd like to turn to Revelation chapter 5 with me, Revelation chapter 5, the third thing I'd like to share with you about why we can sing in the power of Christ I stand is because we reign as kings. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Revelation 5. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals. You were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's what we've just been talking about and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. He has made us a kingdom of priests and kings. If we are priests, we are kings. 
First Peter chapter 2 says, We are priests and we are as living stones. In First Peter 2, in verses 9, he said, We are a royal priesthood. If we're a royal priesthood, then we are a kingdom of priests. Notice, to reign with Him on earth. We are kings and priests who reign with Him. In Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 7, verse 17, Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Listen to how he will say this. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, notice, will reign in life through one, through the one Jesus Christ. If we have been recipients of the abundant grace and the gift of righteousness, he says, we shall reign in life with him. <clears throat> He has raised us and transformed us to reign with Him. We were not born again for defeat. We were born again to reign as kings and priests with Him on earth. He has enabled us to be more than conquerors. And there's nothing on the top side of this earth that can separate us from the love of God, our ally. We reign with Him. In that garden scene that we referenced in the beginning, that is fraught with such tenseness, such, such a great anxiety that's there. What will happen? What choice will be made? And the choice is made by both. But God said this, the day is coming in which you, Satan, will bruise his heel. But the day is also coming in which you will crush your head. You had your day. You had your time. Revel in your victory because you are going to be destroyed. In the garden, everything was according to God's order until. God put man to reign over all the earth and every living thing. And now in the garden, all the earth and every living thing are reigning over man. God put man to be the leader of the home. But now in the garden, man became the follower. When God's order is not followed, there is chaos and destruction. And what God is saying is the day is coming which everything will be set back in order. And when it's set back in order and you have received abundant grace and the gift of righteousness, you will reign with me. You will reign as kings. Because you'll stand in the power of Christ alone.
when sin defeats here in the power of Christ I stand when Satan conquers here in the power of Christ I stand when strivings rage here in the power of Christ I stand when hurt here in the power of Christ I stand when doubts fill our hearts here in the power of Christ I stand when strength fails here in the power of Christ I stand when sin and suffering paralyze here in the power of Christ I stand when I stand alone here in the power of Christ I stand and when death's final cry here in the power of Christ I stand. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the Oh. Uh-huh.
We've tasted the power of Christ. We'll never be the same. Because we'll be forgiven. We'll be transformed. And we'll reign as kings with Him. The searching question is this. Have you allowed the pride of Christ to enable you to stand because you've been forgiven, bought with His precious blood? If not, then why don't you come while we stand and while we sing? Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.